Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is David Feldman. He is partner at Hiller PC. He's also CEO and co-founder at Skip Intro Advisors. We're going to talk to him about what's going on in cannabis in the East Coast here, particularly the New York and New Jersey area as those people who have been kind of following the latest of states that have been passing legislation, both New York and New Jersey have made efforts or have, have various efforts underway to legalize adult use marijuana in, in the states. Uh, and obviously, it's kind of a big deal. Uh, New York uh, being one of the bigger markets and New Jersey kind of right alongside of that, you know, kind of the whole tri-state area. I think it's going to be a really interesting shift in the cannabis industry, you know, both in terms of the markets coming on play and kind of growing the industry, but also just kind of the differences between the East Coast and the West Coast. So I'm excited to kind of talk about this, figure out where we are, what are the issues, what the time frames may or may not be, and then really how is it going to fundamentally change the cannabis industry. So with that, David, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me again, Bruce. Glad to be back. 
Scott. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So let's give a little bit of just kind of context on what you do and your background and how you got involved in cannabis, just for those people that, that didn't hear the previous episode that you've done. And also so we can kind of understand how you approach cannabis and, and why you're in the cannabis space. And then we can talk about what's going on in New York, New Jersey. So give us the backstory. Sure. As a lawyer, my background was in sort of corporate and securities law, venture capital, took companies public, M&A venture capital and so on, written four books on finance and entrepreneurship, including kind of the alternatives to a traditional IPO uh, and other ways to go public, uh, including uh, what's called reverse mergers. And around 2013, the first U.S. cannabis companies to go public did so through these alternatives, through reverse mergers. And I kind of inherited a few of those and found myself, you know, suddenly attending conferences and getting speaking opportunities and realizing that this was an exciting business opportunity. But also it's about kind of helping people get medicine they need. It's about kind of the social equity goals of the industry. And I'm a bit of a kind of libertarian personally. And I think you should be able to do to your own body pretty much whatever you want as long as it doesn't hurt somebody else. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's why, you know, this became not only a business opportunity, but also kind of a passion as well for me. Yeah, yeah. And how, I guess, what have been some of the work that you've done over the last couple of years in, in cannabis, just to give a sense of, of where you've operated and people you've worked with? My work has been more on the financing side, helping companies raise money, go public. We worked on the $250 million uh, lending facility that LeafLink did last year from an undisclosed lender. More recently, we represented a three dispensary group in Pennsylvania called Keystone Cannabis Remedies that was sold to a big multi-state operator called Terrasen at a $70 million enterprise value. These are the types of things I get involved with. Our law firm is very involved on the regulatory side as well, helping people get licensed. We also deal with litigation in the space that is increasingly, unfortunately, you know, part of uh, the, the fall off of some of the challenges the industry has faced over time. Yeah. So let's talk about New York and New Jersey. So, and I know they're kind of different situations. Just from a from a legislation point of view, frame this up for us. You know, in terms of like how have these efforts kind of come to be, and and how are they similar, and how are they different, and then we can kind of talk about where they are and what it might mean. Well, New Jersey and New York are different, and of course, we in New York tend to like making fun of Jersey, but it's not really <laughs> fair to do, so I won't do it. I respect New Jersey tremendously, and I have wonderful friends there and, and former colleagues and so on. But uh, New Jersey did do this differently. Most states that have legalized adult use have done so through voter referendums. And that's what mm-hmm. New Jersey did when they passed a referendum to allow adult use. That required the state to go ahead, but it took a while for the legislature to pass the implementing legislation that's finally done. In New York, you can only do a voter referendum if it results from a constitutional convention. And the constitutional convention can only happen once every 20 years. And the last opportunity to do that was 2017. uh, And there was a bit of a movement to try to get the Constitutional Convention going, but it didn't happen. That meant that New York could only implement adult use through direct legislative efforts. And it took three years of trying. In 2018, they failed. In 2019, they failed. And finally, this year, we got it done. And uh, there were, you know, it frankly took a sex scandal and some other problems that the, that the governor was going through in order to kind of weaken his political capital and put him in a situation where he was more kind of in need of a legislative victory. And he gave in on a number of points that he had not given in on in previous years to get it done, including uh, allowing more home grows allowing the legislature to have more input on who's running the agency that's being set up and so on. And, and I mean, I always find that, you know, the, the policymaking is a bit of a sausage making process, right? Like what would have been the issue? 
issues or, you know, what, what are the, you know, kind of things at stake or the things that people are trying to kind of navigate when it comes to actually passing this legislation? Like, what are, what are the issues on the table? Well, there are the issues that everyone says are the issues, and then there's the real issues. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and what they were saying were the issues were things like, you know, how far to go on, on social equity, how much should legalization include efforts to kind of right the wrongs of the war on drugs and, and help folks of, uh, of color and so on to get business opportunities. That was not really a major issue, to be honest. The major issues were the money, uh, mm-hmm. and who was going to control it, the tax revenue. Power. The governor wanted all the control. The legislature didn't want to give them all the control. They've ultimately resolved it by basically you know, splitting the baby and taking a certain percentage that has to be set aside for social equity purposes. The second thing was control of the agency that's being set up called the Office of Cannabis Management and the Cannabis Control Board that's going to oversee that. And they've now agreed on a division of you know, who gets to appoint the board people, some from the legislature, some from the governor, although he will have a majority on the board. And then the governor gets to nominate the head of the Office of Cannabis Management. That's how they resolve that. But those two were the biggest issues, really. Yeah. You know, I'm curious. I, I, I find cannabis is just this fascinating kind of constitutional experiment of, you know, letting the states kind of figure out how they're going to do things and these little kind of petri dishes of policy and industries and uh you know, I guess how much have we kind of learned or how much has New York kind of borrowed from or learned from, you know, the states that have come before it in terms of how it set up these programs, how it's controlled them, how it set up the industry, you know, the licensing, you know, oversight, things like that. I mean, g- give me a sense of are we making progress? <laughs> you know, is New York ne- the next best version of how we do cannabis? We certainly hope so, is the, I suppose, politically correct answer. The one thing they've focused on that I think most states are beginning to learn is that overtaxing can backfire. California discovered that. And there's still a too robust black market in California because of the high taxes primarily in that state. And so New York was, was pretty careful to keep the taxes pretty reasonable. And Cuomo did try to kind of coordinate with the governors of nearby states. He had a big summit before COVID with the governors of other states to talk about it. They kind of unofficially committed to each other to try to kind of have similar taxes so people aren't crossing the border just for lower taxes. So that was a big thing. I I, I don't know, you know, each state is going to do it the way they like things. And New York is unfortunately notoriously corrupt, uh, you know, up in Albany. And, you know, the the joke is once every five years, we take the leaders of the legislature and we put them in jail, Um, you know, (laughs) and the governor somehow avoids that, even though there are questions about him as well. Although uh, all we have obviously right now are allegations of, of that. So, you know, the hope is that our new approach uh, will be successful. There's no limit, for example, in the statute on how many licenses can be granted, uh, mm-hmm. although the Office of Cannabis Management is allowed to limit them. So it's going to be interesting to see how that works. And that can have a big impact on how the market develops. If you have a limited market, then prices do tend to be higher to the consumer. And so these are things we're going to be watching. Yeah, it's interesting that the limited, I mean, we certainly see across the states, you know, there, there's kind of this big divide of, of limited license states and, and unlimited license states and, and how it really drives, you know, the business side in terms of investment of capital about, you know, what, what people, you know, the valuations of these licenses, you know, the whole kind of MSO process. I mean, what, what's your take on what is best for the state and what is best for the overall kind of cannabis economy, cannabis industry in terms of 
issuing of licenses, number of licenses. Is, are, is this a any anyone anyone should be able to get a license and and let the market kind of figure out who's going to win and who's not, or or should we have some kind of limit on licenses from your point of view? Years ago, when I was in law school, I bought a radio station down in Florida. And what I learned was what it's like to be involved in an industry that's heavily regulated. And it wasn't fun, I'll tell you that. And you're, and you're placing a lot of big financial bets on where the regulatory environment is sort of going. And at the time, the FCC was moving towards uh, relaxing what were then ownership restrictions. You know, companies could not own more than a certain number of radio stations and so on. That's gone now. And so, you know, that impacted how we approached building our business, selling the company and so on. And here we've got that, you know, on steroids, not only because each state is different, but also because you can add on top of that the fact that it's still federally illegal. And Mm -hmm. there's going to be a federal regulatory regime once uh, legalization happens federally. But, you know, it's it's a real challenge. And and I'm it's frustrating for me as kind of a free trade guy to, you know, focus so much on how much the regulatory environment affects everything within a state. And so, you know, the limited license states are, are kind of saying, well, we're, we're basically giving lottery tickets to a handful of people who are going to, you know, put some money in and then get 10 times their money back in short order. And, you know, I see the argument of saying we don't want to just, you know, saturate the market. You have a problem in unlimited license states like Washington and Oregon, where mm-hmm. supply has grown faster than demand and prices have gone significantly down, which is good for consumers, bad for these companies. But ultimately, you would hope that the market forces help all of that stabilize over time. So I I tend to be more in favor of less oversight, less regulation. Obviously, we want to regulate the quality of the product and things like that Mm -hmm. and testing, but not necessarily, you know, in New York, for example, you cannot be vertically integrated under the new rules uh, with very, very few exceptions. So you can't own a grow and a processing and retail. And even if you decide to do retail, while they haven't limited how many licenses can be granted, they are limiting how many licenses one company can own to three dispensaries. And, mm-hmm. and my reaction to that is, well, what if you told you know, Starbucks that you can only have three coffee shops in New York City? You know, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And, and I think the market forces should be allowed to rule. And I hope that that's what will happen in New York. But, and what, what's their thinking? I mean, why, why, I mean, what was their logic to say that we're not going to allow companies to be vertically integrated and you can't have more than three retail locations? There's a lot in the bill that is intended to make it a bit harder for the big multi-state operators to yeah. dominate everything. And that was one of the reasons behind the no vertical integration. I don't think vertical integration should be mandated as it was in New York under the medical program or prohibited, which is what New York is doing now. The only ones who will continue to be allowed to be vertically integrated are the current licensed medical operators. And they'll they'll be able to get an adult license and stay vertically integrated. And there'll be a few small micro businesses that will be allowed to be vertically integrated if they have small enough grow facilities. We're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. Yeah, it seems like, I mean, I just, my general experience with industries is as, you know, early stage industries generally are integrated, vertically integrated, just so they can control, 
you know, the, the process and quality and product development, you know, but as an industry matures, it tends to start to, you know, get layers in it and people start to focus on their theory that they're particularly good at. And, you know, you can see that in semiconductors and all sorts of areas where, you know, have specialization and you have standards that allow transactions to happen, you know, through the various layers and segments of the supply chain. I mean, what's in terms of, you know, forcing things to not be vertically integrated off the bat, seems like it's going to create a lot of complexity in terms of getting products developed, you know, being able to go successfully from a grow operation to a processing to a retail location. I mean, what's the what's the industry feeling so far from the people you've been working with on, on how to actually set up the New York industry? Well, on the one hand, there is there was always this argument with integration of like, okay, you now have to be an expert farmer and retailer. You know, and yeah. those two are completely different things, obviously. And there's an argument that they shouldn't be together, you know, but the feeling is that there, we have no choice and this is what the law says. And yeah. so the big, it's going to be interesting to see what the multi-state operator is going to do. I'm guessing they're going to go for uh, stores rather than grows, or there may be brother, sister companies, you know, for example, the new office of cannabis management is actually going to be in New York under the state liquor authority, uh, which is different from the medical cannabis program, which was under the health department and is now being moved over. And if you look at how New York regulates liquor, they actually only allow you to own one liquor store in New York state if you're in the liquor business. And so you, you say to a guy, wait, you have like 10 stores. He says, yeah, yeah, exactly. He says, well, I have one, my brother has one, my cousin has one, my sister has one, yeah, my housekeeper has one, and they apparently do it in a way that is lawful and, and permitted because there is real and honest, legitimate separation, and I guess they maybe they have management agreements that, that help run them. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what workarounds uh, they may try to indirectly be more involved or partner with or joint venture with other pieces in the supply chain. Yeah. And, and what do we know about how licenses are going to be issued? Is this uh, is this merit-based system? Uh, what, what's the process for applying for, selecting licenses, issuing licenses? It's too bad I'm not on video because I put my hands up and go, I don't know. You know? <laughs> um, and, and I tell people we do a lot of that yeah. in this industry. And we can only guess based on how they've done things in the past, which is not necessarily a safe bet because you're going to have a whole new cast of characters. Uh, yeah. And the people that have been rumored to be potentially running this are not people that were involved with running the medical program. And so, you know, it, we, we just don't know. We don't know what is likely to happen. We, we assume that the application process is going to be similar to how it's been in other states, that you're going to have to submit like a thousand page business plan yeah. with site plans, with your, you know, real estate SOPs locked up, with your financing there. locked up, with your team clearly in place and so on. And we're actually, we've already been hired by well over a dozen uh, clients here in New York who have already hired us to start getting them ready, even though we don't even know who's running this agency yet, much yeah, less yeah. what regulations or applications are going to look like. But they realize that if they don't start now, they're going to be behind because mm-hmm. if they put a new person in and three months later they issue regulations and say, all right, you can submit applications in 30 days, that's not going to be a lot of time for people to do yeah. everything they need to do. And what are people doing to get ready? I mean, with this, is this real estate? Is this getting the operating agreements together? Is it financing? What, what actually goes into getting ready for this process? It's all of that. And the biggest challenge 
for many is locking up real estate, which is why we're seeing some folks in the real estate business who already own properties seem to have a little bit of an advantage in that sense. Because if you want to quote lock up real estate and you're, let's say you're going to open a dispensary, you've got to get like an option or something on the right to take over a store. But we don't know for how long you need that option, right? How long are we waiting? Is it six months? Is it a year? These are challenges that we have. But then, so so there's that. Then it's financing, which is also complex because let's say you think you need, pick a number, just randomly 3 million to open a dispensary. Well, but do you want to take all that money now when you don't even know if you have a license and (laughs) and what investor would write that check? So instead, what people are doing, which is what we did in the medical program in New York, is, you know, get financial commitments from people that says, okay, if and when we get a license, you will write this check. And sometimes you take some of the money, a small portion now to help pay for the application work and things like that. And then you want to have your team in place. You want to really have to be able to show the state that you have an experienced and knowledgeable leadership team uh, that's going to make things happen. And then you got to, you know, start writing your business plan and so on uh, and, and put that together as well. Yeah. I always find it interesting. I mean, New York, you know, kind of has this anomaly and happens in so many industries. You've got New York City and then you've got the rest of New York State. How is this, like, how is cannabis going to be, you know, dealing with that? I mean, have you seen anything different on the New York City side? You know, I mean, am I going to start seeing dispensaries on 8th Avenue up and down? I mean, what's the... How's that going to play out in New York City? Pretty much everyone wants to open a dispensary in Times Square. (laughs) Yeah, Um, exactly. Because that will probably be the most successful, possibly anywhere. Um, And look, New York is the fourth largest state, but it is the center of entertainment, the center of finance. And, you know, yes, there is New York City and then there's the rest of the state. In fact, the medical program required the 10 licensees to have four dispensaries spread throughout the state in a way that the state insisted upon. And they they are working hard to let this new program help upstate as much as New York City and in particular the farmers up there and realize that individual towns and counties have the right to opt out of the program, which they must do by the end of this year. Although if they do, the voters can actually overrule them, which was something that was not in earlier drafts of the bill. So a county, a, a city or a, a town can say, look, we're, we're going to prohibit cannabis sale or cannabis licensing here in our, in our jurisdiction. But the voter, how, how would the voters actually go about doing that? I guess there has to be a referendum or something like that, which, which you know, I'm not even sure how that would happen. <laughs> um, but for example, big chunks of Long Island are likely to opt out and possibly areas of Westchester, just north of the city. New York City almost certainly will will not opt out. De Blasio was not the biggest fan, our current mayor, although he's on his way out anyway. But he said, look, we're... It's legal. We're not going to stand in the way and so on. But there are going to be it's going to be interesting to see the restrictions and how far from a school and a church and whatever. And if you're in Manhattan, you can throw a rock, you know, from just about anywhere. And it's going to be interesting and challenging. Yeah, this is going to be like a couple of square inches (laughs) of New York that are actually legal. Well, exactly. That's going to be a challenge, especially with schools. Yeah. So I know one of the other areas of, uh, you know, a lot of these kind of state programs has been like home grows and, and providing, you know, allowing individuals to, you know, produce and consume cannabis for themselves and stuff. Where, where did New York end up on that one? We're allowing home grow. I think it's up to six, but it can be, I think, 12 if there's two of you living in the house. That was a big, big item of contention, as you might imagine. It, it was kind of showing the kind of nasty dark side of, of some of what goes on, you know, when the sausage is getting made. Yeah. Because the some of the bigger multi-state operators were strongly opposed to home grow yeah. because yeah. they feel it interfered with obviously their their ability to sell product. Yeah. 
But for many, it's more about wanting to grow your own medicine and, you know, freedom. It's, it's yeah. you know, the right to, it's a plan, yeah. you know, so why shouldn't you be allowed to grow it at home? And so the good news is uh, it, it was allowed, it will be allowed in New York. So that's good. Yeah. And um, compare and contrast to Jersey a little bit. I don't know. I mean, I know you're, you're kind of more focused on the New York side, but if just what you know of Jersey and, and how they're approaching it, any notable sort of differences or similarities in the programs? Um, we're waiting to see the, the final Jersey regulations and then we'll have a, a better sense. Jersey is kind of taking a regional approach to it. And, you know, similar to what Pennsylvania did, uh, New York didn't quite do it that way. And, and so this kind of northern, central and southern New Jersey uh, pieces and different people wanting to play in different parts of Jersey. And like New York, unfortunately, there's a there's a corruption element in Jersey as well. It's unfortunately, that, that people have to monitor closely. And Jersey dealt with, you know, lawsuits over their you know, challenging their their system of approval uh, and their point system and so on. Uh, so it's you know, I think they're working to get their act together and 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 struggling a bit with it. Yeah. What's your What's your guess on uh, when dispensaries, adult use dispensaries, will actually open in New York and New Jersey? Is there do you have a, a rough time frame? I mean, I know there's a lot of things to still get worked out, but what's your guess? The the latest that just came out was that it seems like the governor is kind of slow walking appointing the person to run the agency. Um, they have not even officially put forth the official candidates to serve on the uh, control board. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're worried that this is just going to drag out a bit. Uh, so if, if we assume that all the people that are necessary will be appointed, you know, this summer mm -hmm. sometime, uh, I think they're going to need at least three to six months to write regulations because they, they, they once they're hired, then they've got to hire a whole staff. Yeah. Yeah. And then and the, the staff together, has to write the regulations. Write it, write it, yeah. And so let's say three to six months to be generous. So figure early next year the regs are out. Um, and then, you know, figure, I'm going to say fall of 22. It's probably a pretty safe bet mm -hmm. for when we might see some dispensaries get open. Yeah. And, um, you know, I know one of the big things for, with all these states is, is figuring out the social equity and, and the justice side of things. What, I guess, how, how has New York approached it? Like, well, I'm, I know there's been various models with various states. Uh, I think they've all been marginally successful <laughs> at best at, at, at times. But, I mean, what, what's your sense on how New York has approached it? Is it, you know, is, is it significantly different or similar than other states? How, how, did, how did that land? New York's going to have, I think it's 40% of the licenses set aside for social equity applicants. Mm -hmm. um, where other states like California have done that, it has not succeeded as well as I think they'd hoped because non-social equity applicants sort of find folks who are willing to kind of stand in but not yeah, really Trump's. run it. And that's been problematic, you know, where they've gotten caught, quote unquote, uh, where the person finally admits, you know, I'm just a, t you know, <laughs> I'm just a stand in. I don't really do anything. And that's a shame because yeah, yeah. the whole point is to create opportunities uh, for yeah. people who are historically disadvantaged. And the hope is that New York will will not see that happen. But I will be honest, I'm we're already hearing about people who are trying to recruit, you know, sure. minority uh, folks, but not necessarily with the intention to have them actually run the thing yeah. and be in charge and so on. So yeah. I'm hopeful about it. You know, there, there, there is a wonderful uh, expungement provision in the bill that, you know, California basically said we are upon legalization. Anyone who was convicted of a low level drug crime can apply to have their conviction expunged. 
which is great. Right. And even San Francisco went even further and said, you don't even have to apply if you're in San Francisco. We hereby expunge yeah. you all. New York State did that latter thing and is officially expunging all these uh, convictions without having to apply, which is great. Yeah. And, and I mean, I know because, I mean, obviously we've in New York City anyway, we've, we, you know, lots of uh, relationship issues uh, between, you know, the police, uh, you know, law enforcement and, um, you know, communities of color. And how, how do you think this is going to play out in terms of just the sort of the social situation and law enforcement and things like that? Some of it depends on, I guess, you know, who wins the mayoral race that's going on now. Yeah. But under de Blasio, there he and the cops were not necessarily best friends. Yeah. Um, and there was a great New York Times expose a couple of years ago where, you know, marijuana was decriminalized in New York State. Uh, so it's just a traffic ticket. However, smoking in public was still a crime for which you could be arrested. And there were still, even after decriminalization, lots and lots of arrests for smoking in public. And the Times expose discovered that like 95% of those arrests were in black neighborhoods in, in New York City. And so the NYPD responded by saying, well, that's because we get more complaint calls in those neighborhoods. And so the New York Times went and got the records of what's called 311 calls and discovered that, no, there were not any more calls from those neighborhoods. And they just lied. So the next day after this expose, de Blasio ordered the NYPD to stop arresting people for smoking in public. And that was a, a very positive step. And, you know, I think there is this attitude now among the police that that's not where they want to spend their time. Yeah. Uh, and, and if they did, they'd never, ever stop because, you know, all you have to do is walk around just about any street in Manhattan now and you'll, you'll smell somebody getting high. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if I, if I were to give you a magic wand and you could change one thing about the New York uh, regulation or, or you know, ensure that one thing was going to happen with the process, what would it be and, and why? I would allow vertical integration. Um, I, I don't see why you shouldn't be allowed to do whatever you can raise money to do. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we can, you can decide, yeah, I can live with a limit on, on how many grows, how many, whatever, so you don't have too much of a consolidation of, of activity. And you can still have the set-asides for microgrowers and so on, uh, so that smaller companies and, and disadvantaged folks will still have a leg up. But I, I just don't think it makes sense. And I think, th and I would also get rid of the limit on the number of dispensaries. I don't, I don't think that makes any sense either. People want reliability in their product. They want to know what they're getting. And yes, you can sell different brands. You know, you can sell the same brand in, in a bunch of different stores, yeah. but it's also about the, the brand of the retail outlet itself. And if there's only three, you know, MedMen stores in, in New York City, and that's the one you like, you better hope you live near it. And, and that yeah. just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. David, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about the work that you do, what's the best way to get that information? Sure. Uh, you can look at our uh, law firm website, which is hillerpc.com. Our consulting firm is skipintroadvisors.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, let's see, on Twitter, I'm at David N. Feldman. Uh, Instagram is David Feldman 1000. That's, that'll probably do it for now. <laughs> That's great. I'll, I'll make sure those are on the show notes so people can get that. David, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, my friend. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, Download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. 
visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.